Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Sammy Johand, your host. Thank you so much for lending me your ears. I am so very grateful for you all. I'm going to start today's episode with a little plug, actually. On Wednesday, the 6th of May, which is tomorrow evening, Eastern Standard Time, And if you're listening from Australia, then it's Thursday morning. But I'm hosting an online full moon ceremony, and that will include intention setting with guided journaling prompts and then different energy work and practices that will help us align ourselves with those intentions and to also honor the moon in its full, beautiful glory. So we'll meditate, we'll work with the breath, we'll practice Kriya Yoga. And the thing with Kriya Yoga is that you don't need to have any experience. You don't need to even be able-bodied. It's all about the movement of energy and bringing ourselves into kind of like a, a state of trance. And so you don't actually need to be moving at all. You can just imagine yourself doing the practices that I'm suggesting. Anyway, the ceremony is really wonderful wonderful. I really love hosting them and it's really powerful as well. And so I, well, obviously I recommend that you should do it, but if you do happen to miss tomorrow night, it is something that I do monthly. So keep checking my website, sammyjohan.com and you'll get all the details on there. You can ask me questions if you need to. You can also check out all of my other offerings and that's it for the plug. So let's get started with the episode. In her book, When Things Fall Apart, Buddhist nun Pema Chodron talks about the principle of bodhicitta, which translates as an awakened heart. She explains this to be the practice of letting the pain of the world touch your heart and then turning that pain into compassion. It's my understanding that in Buddhism, the bodhisattva is one who walks the path of bodhicitta, one who is committed to being with others through their suffering, healing the pain of the world, and loving from an inclusive and wholehearted place. According to Buddhist philosophy, the Bodhisattva is an enlightened being who chooses to reincarnate to help free others from suffering. Typically, if given the choice, souls apparently don't want to reincarnate and return to Earth because, surprise, surprise, being a human is hard. So most enlightened beings, when they pass from the physical realm, they're like, "Mm, no thanks, but not the Bodhisattva. The Bodhisattva comes back to walk the path alongside others. In today's episode, I speak to Karina Barrias of Louisville's La Casita Center, and I'm pretty sure that Karina is a real-life Bodhisattva. In our conversation, she speaks about accompanying others, and she says that in order for us to heal, we must be in solidarity with one another. I want to read the following paragraph from When Things Fall Apart, the book that I mentioned earlier, which is a definite must read. It's pretty much my pocket therapist. Anyway, Pema Chodron says the following. Spiritual awakening is frequently described as a journey to the top of a mountain. We leave our attachments and our worldliness behind and slowly make our way to the top. At the peak, we have transcended all pain. The only problem with this metaphor is that we leave all others behind. Our drunken brother, our schizophrenic sister, our tormented animals and friends. Their suffering continues unrelieved by our personal escape. In the process of discovering bodhicitta, the journey goes down, not up. 
It's as if the mountain pointed toward the center of the earth instead of reaching into the sky. Instead of transcending the suffering of all creatures, we move toward the turbulence and doubt. We jump into it. We slide into it. We tiptoe into it. We move toward it however we can. We explore the reality and unpredictability of insecurity and pain and we try not to push it away. If it takes years, if it takes lifetimes, we let it be as it is. At our own pace, without speed or aggression, we move down and down and down. With us move millions of others, our companions awakening from fear. At the bottom, we discover water the healing water of bodhicitta. Right down there in the thick of things, we discover the love that will not die. I'm going to say something now that might seem a little controversial, but I think that sometimes in the spiritual world, I'm using inverted commas there, and even the religious world, People are confused about what enlightenment means or what even just being a good person means. Having a spiritual practice has to be more than sitting on our mats and meditating or sending good vibes out into the world. It must also be about action. The spiritual path is a radical one. It can't just be about easing our own suffering. Karina says that we cannot simply be bystanders that we need to speak up, that we need to do the work. And I'm not meaning to sound like a self-righteous twat right now either. I have got so much work to do myself and I don't think that I'm nearly doing enough when it comes to accompanying others on their path and helping to ease the suffering of all. But I am open and I am willing. And I look not to the folks on Instagram who can do handstands or talk the spiritual talk, but to people like Karina to inspire the good in me, to inspire me to get down off the mountaintop and slide toward the suffering, not away from it. So let's get into the interview now and hear all about the work that Karina does for the community and ultimately for the world. And as always, I'll be on the other side of the interview waiting for you all. Please enjoy. Okay, so today on the podcast, we have Karina Barias, who is the executive director of Louisville's La Casita Center, a grassroots organization that works to empower the Latinx community by providing a foundation for systemic change. Originally from Guatemala, Karina came to Louisville, I believe, on a scholarship to study at the University of Louisville, where she completed a BA and then a master's in education. And since then, she has worked super, super hard within the community and has received about a billion awards for being a wonderful human being. Karina Barrias, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sammy Joe, for inviting me. I am so blessed and humbled to be with you today in this beautiful day 
uh, of spring and thank you for the very kind introduction oh you're very very welcome and it is a really really beautiful day and the the beautiful days mean so much these days when we're in isolation so i'm very grateful also Kanina, can we, uh, if you wouldn't mind, could we start with your pronouns, please? Yes. She, her, ella. Gracias. So I would really love to know from your perspective about the work of La Casita and how you came to be involved in the organization. I've been in the community for 26 years. And as you mentioned, I came as a student around uh, the year 2000 when I was doing my internship and started working at the Center for Women and Families. A group of us that were working with uh, Latina women that were being victimized at the moment by domestic violence, sexual assault, and what we know now as trafficking, we found ourselves with a very challenging uh, problem that these women didn't have housing options. Their options, quote unquote, were going back to the person that hurt them, get another partner, or be homeless. And as you can see, those were not options at all. So we started talking and we started strategizing to see in what way we could accompany them and provide them what, what was needed. So one of uh, our co-founders of La Casita, uh, he was involved with an intentional community in an old parish here in Louisville. And uh, the old rectory in, in this community, they have the old rectory and they have only one person living there. So we started talking to them and they have the space, we have the people. And in 2002, we opened uh, Casa Latina. When we opened Casa Latina, which is a hospitality house, still is currently, a lot of people started coming to us, a lot of needs started come up, you know, in our community. So we started dreaming and thinking about having a nonprofit. 2005 came, we were awarded our 501c3 nonprofit status, and that's how La Casita was, uh, was born in, uh, 15 years ago, officially. And, you know, the idea of having a Latinx-led organization uh, with the spirit of accompaniment in a feminist circle uh, had been always the center of, of who we are. Uh, with that, we worked very hard uh, uh, to, uh, not to not to give charity, not to provide services per se, but to accompany people, wherever it is that they are. And uh, we are, I want to say, unfortunately, the only Latinx organization in the whole state that does such a holistic approach where, you know, uh, we have programs that are set and ongoing. But, you know, uh, when people ask me, what is it that La Casita does? I just tell them, you know, you name it, we do it. And if we don't do it, we make it up because we have to deal with different things. Every single person that comes through our door or in these current uh, times of the pandemic, you know, any, anyone that calls us on the phone has a different uh, need, a different struggle, a different barrier, a different story. So we try to be present and embrace people as they come uh, to, to us for accompaniment. I wanted to talk 
a little bit about, well, being an immigrant, I guess. My experience of being an immigrant is very different to a lot of folks. I'm a white person. I speak English. My culture is different, but similar in many, many ways. And so my experience coming to this country has been very, very different to a lot of people. And I can only imagine how intimidating, isolating, and even frightening it is to come to a country where the culture is so completely different. I, um, I've i been to Mexico or Mexico many times. And uh, last year I was there in Oaxaca and I was reminded of how wonderfully rich the culture is there. This, the colors, the smells, the food. Oh my God, this, the food is so good. And just the importance of family and community, the gatherings and the plazas, everything is just, I mean, the only thing that I can say is just it's so rich and it's so beautiful. And as I said, I, I came here to the US as a white person who speaks English and even I had a hard time settling in. So for someone coming here, not speaking the language, having left their country where the culture is, is, is so beautiful, I can only imagine how hard it must be. And then on top of that, folks having to deal with with racism and and, and a lot of unspoken aggressions as well, like health, the, you know, dealing with health disparities and food access and things like that. And then, of course, just plain old fashioned, flat out racism. Uh, my partner, Sandro, who, you know, was recently told that he needs to learn how to speak English. He has two master's degrees from this country. He speaks with an accent, but he speaks perfect English. Um, so this is just like the things that he's having to deal with that I'm not on, not necessarily a daily basis, but it's always present. And so I'm just wondering what your personal experience has been coming to the US, leaving, you know, leaving your country, the difference in culture, if you found it to be challenging or, you know, whether the people have been very welcoming or the opposite. And um, I just wanted to hear from, from, from your perspective, what, what your experience has been and is. Um, yeah. So, um, Joe, my experience, it's a very rich one. And, and I think that it has evolved since the very first time I arrived. I want to tell you this. I totally agree with you about the beauty and the culture and all these wonderful things that, that we have to, to survive on a daily basis. So, so you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, amazing culture. But at the same time, you know, we have been surviving 527 years of colonization. And one of the things, you know, that amazed me, and I've mm -hmm. been reflecting so much lately, it's about, you know, that resistance and that survival that we have in, in our cultures and, you know, the, the points where people have to reach for them to live, you know, what they love the most. So having said that, you know, my, my story is a little bit different from everybody. I grew up in what we call uh, in regular language, a ghetto in, in Guatemala City. And, um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I, I never saw racism against me because most of the people that I was surrounded by, they look like me, right? But I did, uh, I did uh, face, you know, classism and, of course, uh, patriarchy and, and oppression and, and um, violence. 
so so for me coming to the US and 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 coming as as somebody that I was dreaming a, a dreaming of a better life you know I never expected to to face racism and it was the very first time in my life you know like I I could have sworn back in the day that there was not racism in Guatemala of course in my eyes there were not because I never faced that but you know, coming here and meeting people from different from different parts of Latin America, indigenous people, and hearing their experiences, that that immediately taught me and and made me uh, reflect on the racism that I used to see on a daily basis. But I, I I couldn't recognize it because I was not facing it right. So. Yes, I, I I met racism here in the U.S. And the other thing that I that I want to tell you is that Louisville is a combination of you know the historic oppression of the United States and racism and prejudice, but also Louisville is a city uh, I believe that that has a lot of people that are so kind and generous and hospitable. And I am mm-hmm. so blessed to be surrounded by so many of them. I I I try to to stay in that in that atmosphere, in that environment. I start as I try to stay away from environments that do not embrace, you know, social justice, uh, feminism. Uh, you know, if they if they don't embrace, you know, justice and equity for all, that those are environments that I don't I don't surround myself with. So so I am very very blessed to to have a a, a great community that has been you know very welcoming to me. The beginning was hard, of course. The the beginning was was a challenge because I didn't know anyone. Um, in the group of students that I came with, I was the only Guatemalan. The, the idea of the U.S. was a different one from the one that I, I experienced through the media because the media sells you uh, uh, stereotypes and ideas of mm-hmm. cultures, right? You know, it was hard. It was, it was not easy. But at the same time, I think that, that I fell in love <clears throat> not only with the city, but I fell in love with the people that, that I started surrounding myself with. Yeah, I agree about Louisville. There's there's a lot of kindness here and there's a lot of people doing really wonderful work as well. And the Latinx community is is really great. I actually wanted to ask whether there was people that have stood out for you as being extremely welcoming, like people who were fundamental to you settling into the US and into into your home in Louisville. Oh, yes, absolutely. Father Jim Flynn is one of them. He, I met him, I think, at the first week that I arrived. And, you know, something that really caught my attention of Father Jim was his humbleness, but also uh, at the same time, his passion to accompany the poorest of the poor, people that were invisible and, and mm. you know, in, in finding very creative and powerful ways to stand in solidarity, you know, with with our African American siblings, with immigrants, and you know, doing so much work back home in Latin America to bring justice and bring light to all the genocide and all the sufferings that that we are going through. And it was through him, you know, that I that I found, you know, so many existential explanations to myself because, you know, growing up. 
in the environment where I grew up, uh, where ha- more more than half of the kiddos that I grew up with are either dead in jail or or uh, selling drugs, or you know, in an environment where being a woman mm-hmm. was considered less, uh, or an environment where you have to fear for your life day in and day out. And coming here and and meeting this amazing man that I will go, you know, to the poorest areas to accompany people, and not as charity, but as as somebody, as a fellow human, that was really powerful for me. And, you know, across my path, I found uh, a lot of my sisters that have brought to my life different view of life, like uh, Carla Wallace, Maria Schartenberger, and, and, and so, much, so many women out there, uh, Gretchen Hunt, Dana Meyer, that uh, have been inspirations for, for my life and, and that also have been patient to me. Because remember, again, you know, I think with a different framework, I knew that, that uh, I had a calling, but at the same time, the culture teaches you so many things, just like in the U.S. or any white mainstream society. They teach you and they colonize you and then domesticate you to believe things about yourself that that it is it is very hard, mm-hmm. you know, to have a different kind of conversation and rhetoric with other people. So, you know, in Latin America, we are uh, we are very racist, too, just like we are in the U.S. and any other culture in the world. We are racist. We are very classist. You know, uh, uh, there is a huge difference between Latinx people that are that want to make sure that they are uh, that they keep their status quo, and the, the people, uh, el pueblo, right? The the every everybody else, the rest of us that do not care about you know social status or money or or how we relate, and we just you know relate with each other with the same love and dignity that everybody desires. Mm. And so, are are you a religious are you a religious person, Karina? <laughs> I grew up in a very conservative Catholic family, um, conservative in all the in all the sense of the word. When I met Father Jim and, and the other amazing people uh, that I met here in Louisville, I realized that uh, you know um, what I learned back home in my family was part of of what the society in general was, you know, uh, indoctrinating us. However, something very interesting about my story is that I grew up in a, a I, I was educated in a school that the Sisters of Charity had, and, and, you know, my love and my praises to the Sisters of Charity, because in the times of war in Guatemala, priests and nuns were being murdered because of the liberation theology where they were teaching, you know, the poorest of the poor, their rights and everything that they needed to do, you know, to stop being exploited. So these nuns were very clever about uh, teaching us of we are one with the poor and who is the poor? Anyone that needs accompaniment, anyone that that it's not about a poverty in in money, but anyone that isn't seeking out for something that they are lacking, they in their own way were very feminist. And I believe that, you know, in the worst times in my life growing up, having survived, seeing my mother being abused, uh, being having survived incest and sexual assault with different perpetrators, you know, they 
saw me and saved me uh, because because that strength, uh, my inner strength, you know, needed to have that space. So I don't think answering your question, I don't think I am uh, I am religious, but I do believe in spirituality. I believe that we are one with the universe. I believe that the universe loves us and and we love the universe back that we all belong so for me it's very important to use my voice to use who i am to speak out loud against anything that goes against uh that peace that love that harmony that should exist and and of course it it sounds really beautiful and, and really romanticized but it's hard work you know, it it, it, it it takes for me every day to to work really hard on on decolonizing myself, on on taking away the domestication that I was mm-hmm. raised, uh, you know, uh, all my life growing up, and how I intentionally choose. How do I choose joy? How do I choose gratefulness? How do I choose love? Uh, how do I choose not to take things personal when somebody is racist, when somebody is discriminatory, when somebody is is uh, oppressing my people? So, so it's a practice. It's a very mm. hard practice. It's sometimes very painful and re-traumatizing. But you know, it's a practice that I have chosen to believe in in that in that amazing spirit that, yeah. that I'm sure protects us and reclaiming reclaiming the spirituality of my ancestors. Yeah. So I wonder about um, that, that compassion piece towards people who do express racism. Um, I was, we were, this was a long time ago. This was probably closer to when I first arrived, but I was driving, Sandra and I were driving back on a weekend away somewhere. I think we were driving through Indiana or Ohio or something like deep in Ohio or Indiana wherever we were and the only radio station we could find was one of those alt-right Christian radio stations anyway there some dude had called up and he was talking about the Bible so reciting Bible verses about how Jesus said if if your neighbor comes to your door hungry then you invite them in and you feed them which I love that uh, and I love a lot of the teachings of Jesus. Well, I love all of the teachings of Jesus, to be honest. Um, but then this guy goes on to say that, and and really aggressively after he's just said that Jesus, the word of Jesus is to invite your neighbor in and feed them. And then he goes on to aggressively say that using the term Mexicans as a catch-all, that's what a lot of I find a lot of people do um, for all people in Central and South America. But he said aggressively, if Mexicans think they can just come here and get a free meal, then they're kidding themselves or like they've got something else coming to them. Or He said something ridiculous like that. And I thought, mate, you are really confused about Jesus. Firstly, Jesus was cool and radical and anti-establishment, Jesus would be at the border handing out food and bottles of water and helping people to cross. So I just like when there's that sort of attitude, just when you're having to deal with that, I'm just wondering how, what is, what is your practice of compassion or, you know, if you have a practice of compassion towards those kinds of people and towards the kind of aggression that you don't, you might not necessarily it might not be in your face, but you just know exists. So if you could speak more about that personal practice of yours of finding joy and then 
and working with love and, and compassion towards all people? You know, uh, sometimes it's very infuriating, right? Um, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to, to stay grounded in love and understanding and, and compassion, especially when uh, a lot of people are hurting, you know, they're, they're, and I'm not talking about politics, but, you know, how politics right now are being used to see uh, our siblings as the other or how in the historical silence of oppression, uh, we don't speak out loud about the genocides, the genocides of the people that occupy this land, the this uh, slavery redlining, the the new the new slavery uh, uh, methods of oh yeah let's hate the immigrant but guess who is picking up your vegetables and your fruits right now guess who is doing the work that nobody else mm-hmm. wants to do guess who you know who is at the trenches while you stay at your home very comfortable. Um, so with that, you know, it's it's sometimes very infuriating. But so one of the things that I do is I try to to focus and put my my full attention to what is good, what what the blessings, the good people around me, the the good people that support that support uh you know the work that we're doing, and and with that, let me give you an example. One time, like a year ago. Uh, you know, we go uh, with uh, another organization called the Interfaith Coalition for Immigrant Faith, for Immigrant Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, we go to different churches uh, uh, and religious organizations to talk about the realities of people at the border, but also the realities that the immigrant community is facing here in the city. So when when I was giving my uh, when I was giving the presentation, a lady asked me, if you would have a magic wand, what would you ask for? How, what would you change of the current situation? And I would say, I would like a new and different government. And I, and I said it, you know, like very kindly. I, I, she asked me, I responded, you know, I would, lo- I would love a different and, and kind government that sees all of us. The lady, the poor lady, you mm-hmm. know, like the only thing that she needed to do was to stand up from her chair and beat me up. She started yelling and saying, you're attacking my my president. And and in all honesty, you know, in that moment when she, when she was yelling, I just looked at her and I said, I am so sorry that you feel that way and that you feel the need to yell at me. I am so sorry. Uh, and if I offended you, you know, that was not my intention. You asked me a question, I answer with all my heart because I don't have anything to hide. But things like that, you know, everybody around her, like immediately they stood up because they really thought, and I really thought that she was going to stand up and hit me. <laughs> so I I mm. just, you know, in, in that moment, I just practiced what, what I believe, which is like, there is nothing that I can do when somebody feels the need that to attack others or somebody is offended by by a comment that is not being said to offend anyone. It's just I am asked, I am re- I am responding, right? And I am not, 
you know, saying bad words or insulting anybody. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, you know, give my, what my thought was at the moment. And, and, you know, in other occasions when, when uh, I remember one time uh, before I graduated with my master's, uh, this one lady that I worked with, you know, she said, I cannot believe you have uh, a master's degree. And I looked at her like, I don't understand what you're saying. And she's like, I I mean, you don't look like somebody that is educated. And I started laughing and I said, I said, sister, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way. But I assure you that I might have an accent when I speak, but I don't have an accent in my brain. I speak three languages. How many do you speak? So, you know, like, yeah. like I try to take not uh, personal, but I, but, but I also don't, don't, don't keep my, my, myself quiet. I, you know, try in all honesty to, to reflect and, and, you know, my daily prayer with my kids, you know, when we pray together in the mornings, when we do our intention, my intention that made my words and my actions reflect the love of the universe. You know, when I see myself in a situation like that, that somebody's attacking, that's what I, I, I repeat in my mind and my heart. May my words and my actions reflect the love of the universe. Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes I want to respond aggressively. Sometimes I feel yeah. that, that, you know, like a rage in my heart. But, but then, you know, I, I have, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I just turned 50. And, and, and being in, during my 50 mm-hmm. years, I have decided that I am going to protect myself from what comes out of my mouth and I'm going to protect myself from what comes from other people's mouth. So I won't uh, allow those comments or that racism to reach out to the core of my soul. So kindness, but also not taking any shit. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) Something like that, yes. Kindly. Lovely. Yes, kindly not taking any shit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, before you talked about decolonizing your own mind and experience, can you talk a little bit more about that? Mm -hmm. So 527 years, you know, Spaniards came, the idea of uh, white European bringing salvation, uh, the idea that uh, my ancestors were inferior, were savages, needed saving, needed, uh, you know, uh, uh, a better, quote unquote, uh, life. Uh, a, you know, our ideas mm-hmm. that uh, have been uh, ingrained in, in our daily culture, the ideas of how our cultures in general, you know, even the most progressive ones, uh, how uh, women are being seen, are being portrayed, how we, since we are little, we are um, domesticated to believe that we are less, that we are not enough, that we are weak, that, that we need protection, you know, all, all of that. And also, you know, part of, of what colonization has done through through centuries, have been uh, giving everybody uh, 
like a model of who you should become. Uh, uh, what's what's the ideal when you reach out to be this person, this when you reach out to be this powerful, then you are gonna find uh, happiness, and and that could include not only money, but also you know your physical appearance, you know the whiteness in you, the male in you, the mm. the violent in you, how all of that have been. You know, promoted and, and ingrained into the art. So, you know, in my own uh, decolonizing process, it has been, you know, first of all, recognizing where I come from. I grew up as, as I say, in a, in a family that was going through so much pain and so much trauma. And within that, you know, I could see all the patterns of patriarchy and male domination and machismo in my household. To the point where, you know, uh, growing up, when people would ask me, what are you going to be when you grow up? I used to say, I want to be a man. And and in all honesty, wow. that's what I wanted to do. And when people would ask me and laugh and say, oh, what a cute girl. Why are you saying that? And I would respond, because men can do anything they want. And that's what I want to do. Be Anything and do anything yeah. I want. I'm talking about five or six years old. I was already voicing this patriarchy thing is not working for me. And and also, you know, asking questions. I remember mm-hmm. the priest of my parish used to talk, you know, to the youth group and used to shame all of us girls and say, uh, you are wearing those shorts. You are wearing those short skirts, ju- those tight jeans. And then you complain that men are are raping you or abusing you or touching you in the street. And I used to ask this priest, you know, and he didn't like me one bit because, you know, he would also say things like when I would ask, so why is it that only men can be priests? And why is it that only men can leave the church? He would say things like, because God chose us, because, you know, men are chosen, because men are superior. God created men oh, first, yeah, yeah. and then from the rib, <laughs> they, they created women. So, you know, uh, I would ask things like, like, I'm sorry, but I am very confused. You are telling me that men are superior, but yet... Whenever, whenever they see a woman in tight jeans, they feel the urge of raping us. That doesn't sound to me like a very superior person. Mm-hmm. And 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 you know, <laughs> yes. um, that was that was in itself, you know, part of my own decolonizing process. I am not the subject. I am not the superior being. I, I have continued putting me in, in this box of, of who and, and how I should behave. I refuse to do so. I am not going to do so. Uh, I, I am not part of this. Also, you know, like most of my friends uh, got married very young. I got married when I was 31. And it was because of the same sense of mm-hmm. I don't, I am not like everybody else i refuse to believe that my life is only to get married and serve a man 
and and there is nothing wrong with that if it's my choice but it is not my choice and i don't want it and i'm not gonna do it so that that is on on my feminist part how on my feminist side how i have been very intentionally uh, uh, decolonizing myself uh through that and now you know with my children i have uh, ali is 15 years old and fatima is 14 you know they, it, it has been the mission of my life for both of them to feel that they are equal. So Ali cooks, Fatima cooks. Uh, my husband loves doing repairs and sheetrock and, and sanding and, and mudding and, you know, building rooms. Both of them are doing sheetrock, are mudding, are, are sanding, are doing yard work. Both of them are like. So, so, uh, in, and also in, in, in uh, you know, how they see themselves, you know, when we talk about boyfriend and girlfriend, we just say partner. I know I don't, I don't label what is it that they are going to choose for me, you know, by having mm-hmm. a general conforming conversation, they are understanding that, that it's okay, whatever they, they choose for, for themselves. And, and, uh, and since they were very little, we always have the conversations about there are families that have one dad, there are families that have one mom, there are families that have two moms, there are families that have two dads, and that's okay. So so that has been also part of, mm-hmm. of my own decolonization. And speaking against, you know, uh, racism against indigenous people and African uh, African-American or, or Afro-Latinx people, you know, my grandfather, my mother's side, he's an Afro-Indigenous person, he was, but my family never spoke about that, so by this, by trying to trace who he was, what was his life as an Afro-Indigenous uh, person, or my grandmother, you know, who was Indigenous, who had two children with a very white Spanish man who was the owner of the house where she was a maid, uh, how, you know, honoring that grandmother that I was always ashamed of being indigenous and that stopped wearing her indigenous outfit because she wanted to look like the mestizas uh, uh, so she could fit in with the two children mm-hmm. that she had that were mestizas as well. So that, that has been, and saying it out loud to my family, which, you know, of course, they think I am very crazy because how dare I say that we are indigenous? How do I dare to say that we have African blood? It's, you know, it's preposterous. You know, we are not. Uh, because again, going back to that idea, what is perfection and and what is uh, um, the role, the model that, that we need to, that we need to follow. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's great that you're having all of those conversations with your children and I'm sure they're going to, well, I'm sure they're already wonderful humans. So, and they're lucky to have a mother like you. I just have a couple more questions, but last night, oh no, when was it? A couple of nights ago, I watched this movie called Saving Capitalism and it's, it's like, I'm not plugging the film or anything, but it's, it's an all right film. It's about crony capitalism and how the system that we function within supports big business and kind of just forgets about the rest of us. 
Um, but it was a film, it's like an hour and a half long of basically explaining the problem with 30 seconds of a very vague solution at the end. And the solution was basically get organized whilst they, and so he said, get organized. And then there was lots of footage of people protesting. And I sort of thought, this is not, I mean, great. that That's a solution. Yes. But I just kind of need more. I am sick of watching films or reading books where they're just like, this is the problem and there's no discussion of a solution at all. So I would love to hear from you about the kind of world that you want to live in and how you think we can create that world. What's your solution, Karina? Um, I wish it could be a magic one, right? <laughs> but, you know, I <laughs> that maybe, you know, I believe that I cannot rewind. Um, I cannot go back to what I grew up with. Uh, so uh, what I can do, I think that I heal the world by raising children that are less colonized than myself. Uh, raising children that are yeah. feminist, raising children where social justice is not only a word, but it's our lives. So, you know, uh, as, a, as a mother, that's what I do on a daily basis. That That is my, I, be, I want to believe that that's my most powerful contribution to this world and share the very same thing, you know, with my, with my children's um, friends that, that we are surrounded with. You know, uh, my daughter has this amazing group of friends that she met when she was in middle school. And they they uh, uh, they were bullied, all of them. Um, and my 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 daughter and uh, her friend Anita from Cuba uh, were called names as uh, taco and, and burrito. Uh, our friend Bree, whose mom is Filipina, and and her dad is African American, and our friend Macy, who is not a typical uh, white uh, girl. So, you know, they were bullied, they, they were, uh, uh, you know, they found themselves in, in the madness of, of middle school and, and sharing with them, you know, these ideas of how beautiful and wonderful they are, how amazing things they can achieve, that they have to represent themselves and their families wherever they go, you know, how to choose joy, how to choose, you know, uh, not confrontation, but but peaceful conversation. They, so so that uh, for me is is a way of, of of changing the world and the work that is being done. You know how we at La Casita we struggle. You know we struggle uh, trying to continue having a Latinx led organization in a in a wine white mainstream uh, society how we do that how do we treat each other you know through a, a feminist lens how do we change you know policies and procedures for them to reflect what we want to create how are we sharing this new idea of accompaniment against charity against looking at people down uh, because of the power that we held with these resources that, that we are providing. So, so you know, these are, these are uh, uh, my, my daily 
intentions uh, of, of how uh, I see the solution. And whosoever that is out there listening to our conversation today, Sammy Joe, you know, how do you decolonize? Mm-hmm. Because even if you are, if your ancestors were colonizers, you have been colonized as well to believe certain things that make you unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. How things that you could do is how do we, how do you connect yourself to the universe today? How do you connect to that part of you that makes you feel superior or inferior or that you are not enough? How do you, uh, try and work very tirelessly of choosing joy and not being judgmental against anything or anyone and 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 being in solidarity if you have the resources of time share your time if you have the resources of money share your money if you have resources of knowledge share your knowledge you know but share it in a very humble way and and share it if people want to accept it because you know sometimes i encounter people that they want to share their ideas but maybe those ideas are not meaningful to the com- to the communities that that we accompany you know like sometimes they say oh mm-hmm. we need to create a website and a flyer and i tell them but people don't read and write in any language and people don't have access to the internet so your idea is wonderful and thank you for sharing but you know it doesn't work so you know how do you share with the humbleness of saying this is what i have if it works, that's wonderful. If not, how can we make it work? How can we make it accessible? How can we make it for everybody to to uh, you know enjoy that that uh, uh, sharing that you are providing? You know what you have to offer is not what other people need, and that is okay. It's not about you. If you really want to share, if you really want to. To heal the world uh, just like with the environment like if we want to be environmentalists are you willing to go all the way to take care of mother earth if you are against uh, patriarchy are you willing to let go of your privilege are you against homophobia are you willing you know just like you did at the beginning that I appreciated very much to ask uh, people what are your pronouns are you willing like in Spanish I, uh, we have had so many people getting mad at us because we don't say Latino, Latina, we say Latinx. And people mm. are like, oh, that doesn't exist. This, and I said, you know, that's gender non-conforming. And I, that's what I use. And if you don't like it, I am so very sorry you don't like it. And I don't, I'm so very sorry that the Real Academy of, of the language doesn't approve it, but that's the, the word that I am going to use. Thank you. Lastly, how can we support La Casita? How can we support the work that you do? Oh, thank you very much for for asking that question. Uh, we are always in need of, uh, especially right now during the pandemic, uh, we always need uh, food baskets, volunteers that help us distribute it, and also, you know, financial support. If people are interested mm. in, in knowing more about us, you can follow us on Facebook or you can uh, on our Instagram or you can just visit our website www.lacasitacenter.org 
or just send send us an email info at lacasita.org and we will and we will uh, you know send you uh, different ways uh, that you can accompany us uh, accompany others. Yeah, and I'll I'll add all of the links to the ways that people can support you. I'll add those links into the show notes so people will have easy access to those to 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 support the work of La Casita in whatever way they can. Was there any was there anything else that you wanted to add into our chat? Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about, Karina? I would love uh, to tell everybody out there. Uh, Sammy Joe, that this is not the, the time for judgment or competition or hate or or fighting with each other or blaming anyone. This is the time where we can uh, heal ourselves by by being in solidarity, not by being bystanders. I believe, Sammy Joe, that that being silent in any issue that affects others makes me complicit. And also, is betrayal. I betray the world when I am silent and indifferent to the pain of others. So, please, if you if you uh, find things and your heart tells you, you know that there are systems that need to be changed, that need to be open to people that are invisible by the system, uh, and you don't know how, and, and you are willing to to walk the journey, you know. Uh, listening to podcasts like this one, but also, you know, you can reach out to us. Uh, La Casita, even though we are about accompanying people that are in need, it's about accompanying the community as well, how we grow, you know, how we tell stories, how do we lovingly point out, you know, the the historic oppression that that we have been imposed into. So, so reach out to us. I am. Um, uh, we will be always very grateful for anyone that want to be part of our circle, or anyone that is interested in in hearing more about our stories and who we are. Amazing! Thank you so much for everything that you've offered today, and especially that final little bit. I couldn't agree with you more. So thank you so much, Kanina. Thank you for everything that you shared with us, and thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thank you, Jamie, Sammy, Joe. I appreciate you uh, very much. And I send you love and healing and a beautiful day today and always. Thank you. And I send the same to you, Kalina. Thank you so much. The other day we drove past this dude wearing red camo. I just wanted to pause for a moment there on the red camo bit. But anyway, carrying on, he was crossing the street and doing the Heil Hitler thing and obviously provoking people in their cars. And watching him from the other side of the traffic, I felt so angry, like this fury building inside of me. And when we drove past, my partner wound down his window and yelled to him that he's an asshole. And honestly, the guy was kind of shocked, which was funny. But then as we drove away, I thought about the situation a bit more. And I know that I shouldn't make judgments, but I did. And I'm going to. The red camo guy 
looked like he was probably bullied in school, right? Or just perhaps that he's had a rough go at it, you know? He's most likely spent his entire life maybe feeling like he doesn't fit in and maybe rightly so. But at some point, he meets his white nationalist buddies and they open their arms to him. He finally feels like he's worthy. He finally has his place. But what if the rest of us had have opened our arms to him? What if the rest of us had have made him feel seen? Maybe he wouldn't now be a racist fucktard. For me, it's easy to feel a sense of universal oneness when I'm out in nature or sitting on my cushion doing all of the meditation stuff or playing with my tarot cards or dancing to It's Raining Men. But when I'm confronted by people who think differently to the way that I do, the oneness goes right out the window and I get all uppity and superior and feisty and honestly just pretty pissed off. In Tibetan Buddhism, there's this meditation called Tonglen which translates as giving and taking. This practice is all about awakening our heart and widening our circle of compassion through the understanding that everyone suffers. It's definitely not a practice for everyone, however, because it can be triggering, so I just want to caution folks to take care. Anyway, the practice of Tonglen has us breathe in the suffering of the world But it's not like we're taking on everyone else's shit, but rather transmuting that pain into something else, into something beautiful. We breathe in the pain and suffering of others and we breathe out joy and we breathe out relief and we breathe out all of the good stuff that we want for ourselves. And we don't get to pick and choose whose suffering we're breathing in. We're breathing in everyone's suffering, the people we love, the people we feel neutral about, and the people who make our blood boil. Meditating on the suffering of others might kind of sound like a bummer, but it actually feels pretty transformative and it can help take us out of that nervous system response of, I want to fucking murder you right now and kind of shift us instead into this space of either neutrality or, or perhaps even compassion into a space of, oh shit, You've been through or you're going through a really shitty time and my hatred towards you is not going to help anyone. Now, I'm not suggesting that we suppress those strong emotions of ours because they can be really helpful in fueling action. And by that, I don't mean the action of running the red camo guy over in my car, but rather the action of picking up my phone and calling my representative about any racist legislation about to be passed. This practice is not about excusing poor behavior. It's about allowing us to shift away from our reactionary limbic response of blame and fear and aggression toward what Tara Brach calls the bad other and into a place where we can focus our attention on what really matters in that moment. And that might be our own self-care. As a white person, It's really important for me to also turn my attention inward. It's no good for me to constantly point my finger with blame at all of the outwardly racist folks in the world without also checking my own internalized racism. In her book, White Fragility, Robin DeAngelo says the following, which might make some folks upset. So just check the way that you're responding to these words, okay? And so she says, I believe that white progressives cause the most daily damage to people of color. 
I define a white progressive as any white person who thinks he or she is not racist or is less racist or in the choir or already gets it. White progressives can be the most difficult for people of color because to the degree that we think we have arrived, we will put our energy into making sure that others see us as having arrived. None of our energy will go into what we need to be doing for the rest of our lives. Engaging in ongoing self-awareness, continuing education, relationship building, and actual anti-racist practice. White progressives do indeed uphold and perpetuate racism, but our defensiveness and certitude make it virtually impossible to explain to us how we do so. Again, I'm not meaning to sound like a self-righteous twat because I have so much of my own anti-racist work to do, but it's important for us to recognize that we all have a part to play in the problem and that it's not just about the red camera dudes of the world. But then it's also important for us to respond to our own experience with compassion, remembering that none of us are perfect. All of us suffer and all of us want to be loved. Our fear and aggression toward one another serves the capitalist patriarchy, as does our self-hatred. And so doing the heart-centered work of reacting to others with compassion unpacking our privilege with kindness and then taking direct action and creating a better world destroys the very foundations of the oppressive system that keeps us separate from one another. I'm going to end now with a quote by Nama Penniman. It's a quote shared by Adria Marie Brown in her wonderful book, Emergent Strategy. I definitely recommend, I recommend all of the books that I quote from, FYI, if you hadn't already picked that up. But anyway, when Hurricane Katrina slammed into the Gulf Coast, almost everything lost its footing. Houses were detached from their foundations. Trees and shrubbery were uprooted. Sign posts and vehicles floated down the rivers that became of the streets. But amidst the whipping winds and surging water, the oak tree held its ground. How? Instead of digging its roots deep and solitary into the earth, the oak tree grows its roots wide and interlocks with other oak trees in the surrounding area. And you can't bring down a hundred oak trees bound beneath the soil. How do we survive the unnatural disasters of climate change, environmental injustice, over-policing, mass imprisonment, militarization, economic inequality, corporate globalization and displacement? We must connect in the underground, my people. In this way, we shall survive. And lastly, if you happen to own any red camo, I'm not shaming you. You go and you wear that red camo like it's nobody's business, okay? That's all I have to say. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening. If you want to support the podcast, you can share it with your friends, post it on your socials, subscribe. If you're listening on Apple, you can rate and review. And all of that would be very much appreciated. I want to also say... 
that I made many references to Buddhism in the episode today. And for the sake of transparency and out of respect for the practice and the teachings, I want to add that I don't personally identify as a Buddhist. And so everything that I shared, that I have shared, has been inspired by the work of people such as Tara Brach and Pima Chodron and Thich Nhat Hanh. So please check out their work if you're interested in learning more about Buddhism and the path of the Bodhisattva. I'd like to also thank once again Karina Barrias for her time as well as her wisdom. Please check out the show notes to find out how you can support the work that she does with La Casita Center. You can also, so many things, you can also subscribe to my newsletter. If you like the podcast, you will also like my newsletter. I send weekly emails and they sometimes have ritual suggestions and playlists. I make cool, well, I, I think they're cool. I think they're I think I'm cool. <laughs> but my playlists, I'm pretty sure they're good. All right. But I send playlists, um, meditations sometimes. And also heartfelt words by me always. So head to my website, sammyjohan.com or the Hand on Heart po- Hang on, what's my website? Handonheartpodcast.com. Either one of those you can sign up for my newsletter on. Uh, the opening music is by Heim. And I'm pretty sure that's it. If it's not, I'm sure I'll catch you all up in the next episode which is going to be great. So keep an eye out. At this point, we're doing bi-weekly. We're, I, I'm doing bi-weekly episodes. Uh, So subscribe and um, you'll get the updates. Anyway, I need to stop rambling now, but thank you so much for listening, folks. You're all so great. I'll catch you next time. 